Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. film lovers and welcome to the films i love most podcast with me keith your host and we've got so much going on today i'm exhausted just thinking about it i am here in the dungeon with a cup of tea but no bourbons this week because i couldn't be bothered to go shopping so let me just take a swig and i'll tell you everything that's going on we've got reviews all over the place it's crazy how many reviews we've got Um, Some of these reviews are for films that I've seen at the cinema, some are that I've seen on BFI Player. So yeah, lots of reviews. Um, Of course we've got movie news, uh, films I love, the film I love most, and of course film found for a pound. A couple of little interview in the middle with a good friend of mine, Hannah, who works for the BFI. And a very interesting um, film I love most this week. Now, last week, I had a couple of letters saying that they were not overly joyed by the heavy use and discussion of the genre of horror. The genre of horror. Um, in last week's podcast. But it was the Fright Fest special, so what do you expect? I don't know what you want from me. But, yes, this week I'm keeping the horror down to a minimum. There was um, a, a little bit of um, inner monologue discussion with myself whether I should cut horror movies out completely, but I decided not to do that because how would I, you know, be true to myself without doing a movie podcast and not talking about horror, which is my favourite genre. So there's a little bit of horror this week, but don't worry, not too much. Welcome back, listeners who didn't listen to last week's podcast because they are chicken, to be honest. But welcome back and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast. Hello and welcome to Movie News. Yes, so if you didn't know, the London Film Festival is coming up very shortly. In fact, it's coming up next week and the week after. So we are going to see a lot of movies and we will be discussing them with you and giving you our reviews. Now, I have a list of films that I'm watching. Um, I'm seeing Our Ladies, The Report, The Lighthouse... The Lodge, Push the Button, which is a collection of short movies, which has got a short from Peter Strickland, the director of In Fabric. So I'm very excited to see that, although the movie is only three minutes long. So I have literally booked to see two hours of short films just so that I can see this three minute Peter Strickland film. That's dedication. And I'm watching the re-release of The Elephant Man because it's one of my favourite films and I want to see it on the big screen 
and I love John Hurt and David Lynch. So yes, we've got a lot to discuss about the film festival. Coming up is a discussion with Hannah, who works at the BFI, and we're going to be talking about some films that we are looking forward to in the film festival. Here we go. Bonjour to Le Monde. We are here on the South Bank. I'm eating an ice cream with a flake that has cost me about the same amount as a small bungalow. And I'm here with Hannah Greenwood mm-hmm. to discuss the BFI Film Festival. Bonjour. Bonjour. She speaks. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm fine. I'm in ice cream heaven right now. As I can see. Yum yum. Do you want a bit of my flake? No, thank you. No worries. Um, what are you looking forward to in the festival this year? The lighthouse is like the main thing. Just come on, the witch is so good. And um, yeah, I'm a big horror fan. Cool. The lighthouse is starring... Robert Panson, Willem Dafoe. And okay. by the director of The Witch, which came out a few years ago. Just a really, really good uh, horror story about New England folk arriving in the US and uh, witchcraft. Oh, I want to say something, but I've got a mouthful of flake. Um, keep talking. <laughs> well, I'll say the lighthouse is. So it's Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe doing kind of a what looks like a claustrophobic story. So the two of them working in the lighthouse on a remote island, and Dafoe is kind of a grisly, intimidating character, and Pattinson, I would expect, is some kind of mysterious figure. Mm. And who knows how it will unfold. I mean, I do have tickets for it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Forgot to introduce you properly. This is Hannah Greenwald, who works at the BFI, or the Biffy, as it's most commonly known to no one. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the box office. So, tell us about your favourite movies of all time. Oh, you were asking me this earlier. Um, like, as I was saying, so I really like horror. Yeah. And one of my favourites is a film called The Haunting. It's from the 60s. Oh, I was going to say, not the Liam Neeson not re- that 90s remake. But that is a remake of the same film, um, yeah. based on a novel. And there was a, another remake this last year, a Netflix series, a series called The Haunting of Hill House, mm. um, which is like kind of a reimagining of the same story. But the original film is so good. It's, um, yeah, it's one of those films that kind of does more through suggestion rather than showing, and it's just so frightening. It's really, really good. Excellent. Now, last year, me and you mm-hmm. took a little excursion to see my favourite horror film of all time. It's one of mine as well. Okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Halloween. Yeah. I was almost going to mention John Carpenter when you asked me my favourite films, because Halloween I love, and also The Fog is just one of my favourites. Probably mm. more my favourite than, than Halloween. Okay, I, I love can the see fog. that. Um, it has more of a kind of like a adventure mystery aspect to it than Halloween does, which is more sort of realist. Um, yeah, and mm. last year, of course, was the release of the new Halloween film with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so we watched both films, the new one and the old. We did. We did. We did the 40th anniversary special release of the original Halloween. Which had an introduction with, from John Carpenter, not in person, no. unfortunately. Yeah, projected. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then we got to go and see Halloween 2018 at Cineworld Leicester Square. On the super screen, which was on amazing. On the super screen, which was on the last night of the film festival last year, I yeah, think we it went. Was. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it, the new one? Because we've already made a date to go and see Halloween mm-hmm. Kills and Halloween mm-hmm. Ends. Mm-hmm. 
no matter what happens, we're going to see those mm-hmm. together because it's sort of become a bit of a, a thing that we are. A tradition. A Michael Myers fest with us. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I uh, loved it. I, um, it was a little bit of a rehashing of the H2O theme of um, Laurie being sort of crazed from the, her experiences and trauma- traumatised and um, really too worried about things um, but it, I really like the sort of dynasty element of having Laurie and her daughter and the granddaughter the three women against Michael and it, yeah it was just very fun and it was some good scares what do you think about the fact that they completely sort of jettisoned the idea of him being her brother oh well <laughs> I think the brother idea um, I never liked it anyway I think it's just kind of weakens the whole the horror of it I think it's more interesting that he's just a stranger to her. I don't think it I really I didn't really add anything to me it's just kind of a cheap twist if you, in my opinion mm. and um, yeah it's, it, I think it's fine to drop it just because it, yeah, it didn't serve the story this time so in the original TV cut of Halloween the original mm. there was a scene where um, it's a dream sequence mm. um, with Michael Myers and written on the door is sister um, now a lot of people have interpreted that as the fact that Laurie Strode is his sister and it was known from the very Mm. first Halloween film so it's quite a departure from canon if that's the case right yeah but I the fact that it's cut just shows that I don't know that that wasn't the way it was supposed to be you know it was like a something that maybe the director thought about but then changed I just don't think it's um, it's just weak and it's it's kind of like not explained because how is she his sister they the whole family is dead is she adopted what's the what's the backstory? I never really understood that anyway. Yeah. Um, it's sort of last year's reboot, so to speak, has started off a lot of other reboots now, like the Terminators coming back, completely mm. getting rid of um, Terminator 3 and onwards. Mm. Do you think this is a good thing to go back and sort of mm. ignore films that are at the time seen as canon, but now just getting rid of them because they, in retrospect, are a bit shit? (laughs) Well, I think it just goes to show that there's so many of these franchises where there's just so many films, like Terminator or like Predator, um, Halloween, Friday the 13th, but there's just so many different films in the the sort of... um, the timeline that there's just too much history to sort of fit into the new when you're trying to reinvest, reinvent the story you can't just include all that back backstory I totally agree and also it's just like it also sh- kind of sh- goes to show that people don't want to make new things they want to kind of rest on their laurels and sort of um, use the old favourites just because they know they're going to be hits it's just a bit of a shame they should have new stories with new, new characters so it's like using those characters but bringing them into new stories. So your audience base is already mm-hmm. basically there. They're already gar- basically guaranteed, which uh, which is fine because I, I love a lot of those franchises. I'm guilty of wanting to go see Halloween, as we just talked about. Of so, course. Um, um, yeah, I'm one of those people that is kind of the um, assured fan base. But uh, yeah, I think it's kind of a lazy way to make uh, a story. Sure. We've massively departed from the reason we're supposed to be having this chat. I talk about the film festival, but get us started on things like that. We mm. could be here all day. We could yeah, do we a could. whole episode. Um, so anyway, going back to the film festival, mm-hmm. anything else that you've booked for that you're looking forward to? Yeah. Um, so something I didn't know about before the film festival program was announced was Knives Out, the Rian Johnson film with an amazing cast, um, kind of a sort of Miss Marvel-esque murder mystery. And it looks like great fun and... Daniel Craig is playing one of the leads as the detective with a very sort of southern American drawl, which is quite <laughs> interesting for him. Bit opposite from his most popular role. Yeah, and um, Jamie Lee Curtis, again, we were just speaking about, she's in the film. Mm. 
Um, nice segue. What well up? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, it looks great. And that's one, it's one of the main ones it's in the one of the gala films. And but then as well, sticking to my horror theme, there's a number of films in the cult section. So um, Synchronic yeah. uh, yes. with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Jordan, which um, was just announced today that uh, Michael B. Jordan is coming for a screen talk in in person to the festival I can't release this now until tomorrow <laughs> oh I'm so sorry because <laughs> that's out. inside information guys you shouldn't even know about that um, but at the time of broadcast everyone will know okay. and there'll be no tickets left because I can imagine that everybody's going to want those tickets mm-hmm. as soon as possible mm-hmm. because it's Michael B. Jordan yeah, and he's the love. hottest thing on earth yeah exactly um, yeah my pick is um, going to be The Lodge oh god yes I'm, I've already said to Hannah that I'm basically treating the London Film Festival as Fright Fest Part 2 mm-hmm. which I like you know because it sounds like a proper sequel doesn't it Part 2 Part 2 um, so yeah The Lodge looks really really good it's from the director of a film whose name I forget um, about two twin boys and their mother um, Good Night Mummy yes exactly or really, Mummy really yeah really really good yeah quite a that, number of years ago I think it was in, that was in that's school. a scary yeah. film yeah. that's the basis of that film if you want to go and seek it out and watch it is quite similar to the um, face um, Eyes Without a Face yeah so a mother who has an operation comes back has bandages all mm. around her face and then the two boys um, she's acting quite different and then it's a bit like is it her isn't it her mm-hmm. what's happening who's the weird element is it the boys is it her what's yeah the, yeah what's the mystery I love that film mm-hmm. Oh, another one I should mention from the cult section is Colour Out of Space. It's being based on a um, H.P. Lovecraft short story, which is a sort of early um, 20th century American horror story, and it's a really, really great story, and it's featuring Nicolas Cage as well. You love the um, Cage! I love Nicolas Cage. Last year he did Mandy, which came out in the festival last which year. Which you amazing. didn't stop going on about it for a so long good. time. I, yeah. I still haven't seen it. And it's so good, and you should watch it. I know, I know. Especially we sh- if it shows in the cinema sometimes, still, we should go, because it's amazing. Because of Spectavision. That's what they call oh, it. Oh, yeah? The company that makes oh, that, you mean, yes. that eerie redness. Uh, yeah, it's great. Listeners to our podcast will already know that I've spoken about Spectavision when I was reviewing... Daniel isn't real. Mm. That was at the fright fest. So they, they, you know that I'm in love with the uh, the color scheme, um, which is apparently quite similar in Mandy. But I re- should really watch it. Oh, so it's similar. It's a similar color scheme to the yeah to yeah. the um, to Mandy. Uh, oh. Daniel isn't real. Oh, okay. But the um, the thing that put me off is I started watching Mandy and it was really tired mm. and. I got about a quarter of the way and I thought I have to turn it off I'm going to fall asleep and then I had the horriblest dreams that <laughs> night and they were in the colour scheme of Spectre Vision mm. so I've never had the courage to go back well what I would say is it's kind of in two halves the first half is very artistic and um, without much plot and it's like a lot of amazing visuals and a great soundtrack yeah I love the soundtrack that's another point um, it's a really great score and then um, the second half is much more kind of high action and intensity and almost spoof of, okay. of, of a revenge narrative. It's really, really like, good. Sounds typical Nicolas Cage it's to amazing, me. amazing, yeah. <laughs> we do like him, really. We do. I mean, I always think about Nicolas Cage is that he is doing what an actor should do. Whatever script lands on your doorstep, you do it. Mm-hmm. That's a jobbing actor's, yeah. you know, role, isn't it? And also he's acting in a way that almost no one else is. He takes it somewhere that no one else... You know, who performs in the way that he does? Who has the same? Style? I mean, it's not always the direction that you possibly <laughs> like, but hey ho. Yeah, he's not realist, but he's very expressive. Let's say so. He, yeah. We've just spoken about horror movies. I mean, we're 
It's me. I'm dragging it that way. I'm... Well, me too. I mean, I'm. I have nothing booked for um, the romance strand no. or anything like that. The love strand, mm. sorry, um, because that's just not my cup of tea. Mm. But if you do want to go and have a look and see what's on, you can go to the London Film Festival website. The festival is from the 2nd of October to the 13th. I'm looking you in the eyes just in case I'm getting any of this wrong. You're right, yes. And you can book online. Just search for London Film Festival, BFI, Mm -hmm. and then you can book your tickets. And who knows, you might get to speak to the lovely Hannah. Yeah, maybe. And also bear in mind that if you're under 25, between the ages of 16 and 25, some of the tickets can be bought for £5 in advance in the film festival. (gasps) Take advantage of that deal. What a bargain. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, you know, I would do that, but I'm an old man. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank we're going to talk again, because mm-hmm. obviously we're going to have like a lot of uh, sort of reviews and feedback for the things that we're seeing over the festival. So oh, yeah. would you come back? I will come back, and yeah. And talk to me I'd and my to. lovely film lovers. I'd love to, yes. Yay. Thank you, Hannah. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Hannah. Very lovely discussion there. Although it was mostly about horror movies, but what what can I say? Um, now, I've been lucky enough to go to some press screenings of some films that are going to be released for the film festival. I'm not going to go into many because I don't want to give much away. But I have seen Monos, which is an Argentinian film about child soldiers, which I absolutely adored. It's fantastic. Uh, visually... The story's great, sound is amazing, the acting is impeccable. If any of you can get tickets, I know that it's sold out now, but if you can try and get tickets or if you can see it when it's on a more general release, Monos is definitely, definitely a good choice because it's an all-round fantastic film. Little Monsters, which is a horror comedy in the vein of Shaun of the Dead, crossed with kindergarten cop that's how i'm going to describe it so it's a zombie film set in a children's farm some kids go on a school trip and are terrorized by the undead i'm trying not to give spoilers away you see i don't want to say too much because i don't want to spoil the movie for you but yeah that's a couple of films that i have seen that are coming up in the film festival over the next couple of weeks so stay tuned And we will be giving our full review of the BFI Film Festival 2019. Now it's time for movie reviews. We have a lot of reviews coming up. So hold on to your hats. Here we go. So now it's our review of The Souvenir, which I saw this afternoon. Directed by Joanna Hogg. And starring Honor Swindon Brine and Tom Burke and Tilda Swindon. Um, yeah, so this film is still with me. It's still clinging on to me. Um, it's such a stylized film. Very sort of 1980s, slow British drama about a young girl who is a film student. And she's trying to make her... Um, film project and she's struggling to come up with the creativity to write it and to get out there and film it and whilst at a house party she meets a man played by Tom Burke who she starts a sort of very odd relationship 
Now, I have to say that this film is beautifully acted and Honor Swindon Bryan is, um, is amazing at playing this sort of naive yet intelligent um, young lady who falls for Tom Burke's character's uh, charms. And Honor Swindon Bryan is the daughter of Tilda Swindon, who is also in the film, playing her mother, which is a nice sort of meta element to the film itself. Now, um, I made some notes while I was watching this movie because there were some really interesting things going on. Um, to start with, I felt like there was a bit of a Terence Davis sort of distant voices, still lives feel to this movie. Um, the way that it was filmed, the colour palette, the relationships, the sort of bleakness was very Terence Davis. Uh, the only thing that was missing was uh, women singing in, bu- in pubs, but you can't have it all, right? Um, and I just felt like that the film was uber naturalistic. Like I said, it was quite a grey film. There wasn't much sort of colour. There wasn't much music going on. The music itself comes from what the characters are listening to. So there's sort of no in, like instrumental music in the background. Um, and this just brought out the naturalism in the film. There's a lot of a very, very, very emotional field, um, scenes. Um, there is a couple of scenes that the music sort of echoes what's going on in the film so there's a, um, a, a scene where they're just sitting around talking and is she um is she really going out with him is on and i'm just like yeah is she really going out with him because i think what i love about this film is that tom burke's character is such a you know is such a enigma it's you just can't get a grip on him. Even now, I'm trying to sort of explain it, but I can't because he's very strange. You don't know whether he's telling the truth or not about his job, about his lifestyle, about where he's been, about his past relationships. You're not quite sure what's the truth and what's not. And um, it becomes quite evident that he is a drug user, that he um, uses heroin, and that leads um, the film to a um, very disturbing end there um he's constantly smoking as well which i found very weird you don't see that much in films now but he you know he very rarely does not have a cigarette in his hand there is um a nice reference to psycho um when tilda swindon bryan's character is in one of her film study classes they're talking about the shower scene about the hurt you know like you never see the knife going in the hurt is all from what you hear and what you sort of imagine, not what you see, which I think describes her relationship quite well. It's about what you hear, um, like on the outside, like they're the discussions that they what they talk about and, you know, his lies and his deception rather than the pain that's going on, like what you can see. Um, very, very interesting, very deep, 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 deep. Um I've made so many notes. There's just um, scenes and scenes that I really, really liked. There's a scene when um, Honor Swindon Bryan's character is um, at the window and she's looking out and suddenly there's an explosion and you find out that it's an IRA attack because this film is set in like the early 80s. So it really ties into sort of the 
the zeitgeist of what's going on at the time, the threat of bombing and the IRA threat and the uncertainty really ties into her relationship with the um, with Tom Burke's character. Um, there's scenes with um, where he borrows money from her quite a lot. And it's always £10. He always borrows £10. And you just think to yourself, where is he going with that money? He's supposed to work for the Home Office. So why hasn't he got money of his own? Um, he he robs her. There's a robbery at the house. He says that they've been burgled, but in fact it was him. And you just think, you know, there's no trust, but she's still hanging on to something. She finds him fascinating. She finds him attractive. Uh, there is a few sex scenes in this uh, film, which are done very stylistically in a way that they're not sexy, they're quite dull and grey, and the music over the top is quite ominous, so you never feel like this is a uh, like sexy relationship, it's more of a sort of obsession with each other rather than an, an attraction without lust, there's not much lust there, it's more I don't know. It's such a strange film. I would say go out and watch it. Stick with it. It's two hours long. Um, I hate to say this, but there were some parts that I found boring, but others that I thought were just fantastic. I mean, the performances in this film are phenomenal. Yeah, so that is The Souvenir. And I'm going to give The Souvenir 7 out of 10 purely for the things that I said that I don't like about it. But then what I do really, really like about it is its style and its performances. And it's sort of, it's very British in the fact that there's a lot going on, but not a lot said. So therefore, you know, they st- bad things are happening, but no one's talking about them because we're British and we just don't do that, especially in the early 80s. So yeah, 7 out of 10 for The Souvenir. So next movie up is Rojo, which um, I saw literally last night. And uh, it's still playing on my mind. It's such a strange film. When I was making my notes, I was just writing down so many sort of inspirations that the film has dug into, which I just found really, really fascinating. So, um, Rojo is set in 1975 in Argentina, and its very first scene is set in a restaurant, and there's a character who is sitting alone in the restaurant, uh, waiting for his wife, when another man enters, and basically tells him to get up. If he's not going to eat anything, he needs to get up and give him the table because he wants to eat now. And after a little bit of backwards and forwards, the man decides to get up and let the other gentleman sit down. Not so gentleman, actually. Uh, he's very rude about it. And after a couple of minutes of of waiting at the bar, the man decides that he's going to berate this guy who's basically just made him give up his table and goes for it really really just bile comes out of his mouth about him telling him that his parents obviously didn't bring him up the right way that he is rude he's got no manners that he's a deplorable human being and on upon hearing this the man who took the table just goes a little bit crazy 
and starts screaming and shouting and going. I think basically a, a nerve was hit and um, yeah, and is thrown out of the restaurant. Later on, after they finish their meal, the guy and his wife leave and the crazy man is waiting for them outside and there's an altercation and something very, very disturbing happens. Now, I'm not going to go any further because you have to see this film to understand the implications of what happens. Um, For me, what I took away from it was um, a town that was seeing such a political change, but then the sort of townsfolk were being affected by this. I I mean, it's a little bit reminiscent, really, of what's happening in the UK with Brexit at the moment when there was, you know, like race related crimes um it just seems to me that there's a little bit of a shadow of that in the film um but what i really took from it was the toxic masculinity that a lot of the characters have there's one character the um the guy who uh, the main character of the film his daughter uh, is has a boyfriend and he's pressuring her for sex and there's one scene where he wants to have sex with her she obviously doesn't and he's coming on a bit too heavy and she tells him that she's on her period but he keeps on going and in the end she has to tell him that they can't have sex because her parents will be home and it's almost like there's a sort of a shot of the boy's face after he realizes that he's not going to have sex with this girl and it's anger and it's frustration and it's this sort of you know entitlement and he's been turned down and he doesn't take that very well and also there's the the element of sort of darkness spreading through the town it's sort of like there's a few events that happen that are almost an indirect consequence of that fateful night in the uh, in the desert, so to speak. I'm not going to say anything else. There's some absolutely beautiful, beautiful st- um, staging and uh, cinematography in the film. There's a scene with an eclipse, uh, but the eclipse is red, and it just the color scheme of this um, film, the palette, is amazing. Um, I've got so many notes here. It really reminded me of films like The Square, or um, the Spanish movie Time Crimes. Now, obviously, if you've seen Time Crimes, you would think that, you know, no movie could match that. But what I'm talking about is a situation that occurs and then one man spiral into this absolute crazy rabbit hole that he just can't seem to get out of. Um, and also it reminded me a little bit of I Know What You Did Last Summer, you know, where something happens and you know, someone has to live with the consequences, but they're always looking over their shoulder and they're always worried they're going to get found out. There's a definite hint that um, the political situation is, you know, having an effect on the people. There's, There's this sort of subplot of these American cowboys that have not been let into the country to perform they've got a show and they've been held at the airport and there's a little bit of um, upheaval about this people aren't happy about it and it in the end they're let into the country and they exchange gifts with the mayor and it's all like very odd but it's just um, basically saying that 
even though two nations can bond very well, it's it's okay to bond with other nations. But if the nation that you're living in, if the country that you're living in is is torn apart, is isn't civil, then the uprest is the relationship with other countries is now void because the political and social elements of that of the country you're living in. Um, am I talking about the film or am I talking about our country right now? I think it's all just spilling into one for me. But um, yeah, so it's sort of one town against each other. There's a fantastic scene where um, the boyfriend who's been, you know, sort of turned down, his sexual advances have been turned down and then he gets into his mind that his girlfriend is, is sleeping with somebody else. So he interrogates a boy about whether his girlfriend is sleeping with somebody else and he refuses to answer and then he goes missing from the town which is very reminiscent of the main plot so it's it all is almost like a sickness and illness which is spreading through the town which i really really liked um there is a scene in a club where there's a magician and the magician really really reminded me of the old guy from poltergeist 2 which is one of my reoccurring nightmares that man in that film he scares the hell out of me so that was rather alarming for me um it's beautifully shot very reminiscent of 1970s um cinema especially coming from spain and argentina um the main star dario granietti is stunning in this film his performance is it's it must be difficult for him because Obviously, the character is trying to hide something, but you don't really necessarily see that in the character. I think it's almost like an entitlement that he has. So he plays it very, very well. There's paranoia. There's this sort of distance with his wife that he is experiencing, which he's trying to sort of overcome, but to not not great effect unfortunately so yeah as you can probably hear i really really like rojo and it is um available to watch at the curzon at the moment if you miss it i have no doubts that curzon will put it on their streaming service and that it will be available on blu-ray and dvd soon and i am giving rojo eight and a half out of ten so there you go catch it if you can ole Next up is The Farewell. Now, The Farewell is a film about family and about a lie. Yes, you heard me correctly, a lie. So this film is about a young girl in America who finds out that her grandma in China has been diagnosed with lung cancer and is not expected to live much longer. But the family have decided not to tell the grandma this. They've decided to lie to her because they want to make sure that she lives the rest of her life in comfort and not worry, which I completely understand. Um, There's a line that says Chinese people have a saying um, that cancer is going, it's not cancer that kills you, it's the fear, which I think is very interesting. So they decide not to tell the grandma, but the young American girl decides to whiz over to China and see her grandma for what's possibly the last time, The family have organised a fake wedding as the backdrop to the lie so that the grandma doesn't get suspicious and hilarity ensues. Here's a clip. What's wrong, Dad? 
Please tell me. Your nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. I think it's safe to say that I absolutely loved this movie. I think um, it's one of those films that really reminds you of how important family is to you. And even though that family can be quite far away, they are always with you in some respect. And the film has um, a lot of comedy, but also has some really thought-provoking moments and dialogue. Now, I was on the Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo show with a letter that I wrote into them because obviously, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Mark Kermode. And um, they read my letter out. And I think that my letter describes this film perfectly. So here is my letter read out on the Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode film review show. Keith Goldsborough says, I've just come out of an advanced screening of The Farewell and I'm lost for words. It's been a long time since I've seen a movie that can make me laugh out loud one second and break my heart in the blink of an eye. The subject matter hit a nerve with me uh, as I lost my grandma when I was in my early teens and struggled with the reality that I was never going to see her again. This is beautifully articulated by, is it um, Aquafina? Aquafina's character. In a key scene which caused me to spontaneously burst into tears. Uh, A beautifully realised look at the fear of losing a loved one and the realisation that no matter how far away you may be, family are always there with you. I'm still crying. Goodness knows what blubbing state Mark found himself in. (laughs) Yeah, well, you can imagine, right? Did you a lot? Oh, of course. I I really did, but I also laughed. I mean, that's the, 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 the genius of it, is I cried and I laughed. As you can hear, I absolutely adored the movie. And there's nothing much I can add to that without giving any spoilers away. But what I will say, it's one of the most profound movies I've seen in a very long time. And if you are in the situation where you have someone close to you that is poorly, um, this is a really good way of dealing with that situation and maybe thinking of it from a different perspective. So I'm going to give The Farewell 9 out of 10. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I cannot do that. No, you're not listening to the audio version of 2001 A Space Odyssey. You're listening to the Films I Love Most podcast, where I'm about to review Ad Astra. Yes, Ad Astra, starring the still, still beautiful Mr. Brad Pitt himself. Now, I went into this film not quite expecting what I got. Let's put it like that. Um, I was expecting a high adrenaline space race. What I got was a thought-provoking, slow, mesmerising, interesting, beautiful, epic tale of a man in search of his father. And did I enjoy the film? Of course I did. It's a space movie. I love space movies. Are there issues with the film? Yes, there are massive issues with it. So here is my review of Ad Astra. Before I do that, here is a clip. Major, I'll take Trust 5. Why don't you start with Trust 2? Don't wander off too far now. 
Esther, this is Cepheus. Responding to your mayday. Do you read? Tanner McBride, check. So, yeah, Ad Astra, it's a bit of a strange one. I mean, it's on so many levels very, very deep, but then it's also tries to be one of those fast-paced action space movies. There are a lot of very famous actors in it, including, obviously, Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland, and a few little cameos throughout the movie that I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, yeah, it's definitely got a feel of 2001 Space Odyssey. But it also stars Liv Tyler, so there are a few moments when I'm thinking, hang on a minute, is this a sequel to Armageddon? Because it's got a very similar thing. Um, Mark Kermode has likened it to Event Horizon, which I agree with him. It has very much the same flavour as Event Horizon, as in something is happening deep in space and someone has to go and investigate. Something has come back somehow, like in Event Horizon, it's a ship that disappears, then comes back and they have to investigate the ship. It's a little bit of a similar plot line in Ad Astra where Brad Pitt's character has to go and find his father who's on a spaceship that disappeared and is now pinged back onto the radar. Um, it's visually beautiful. In the same vein as Gravity, there are some thrilling scenes. The opening sequence of Brad Pitt on the space station is incredible. There's a scene on the moon that involves pirates. Yes, you heard me correctly. Moon pirates. And there's a battle that goes on between them, which is visually very good. I liked the slow pace. It was almost like a road trip in space. You had... Brad Pitt having to get from the Earth to the Moon, from the Moon to Mars, the Mars to Neptune, and it had an Odyssey feel to it. So, of course, everyone is going to liken it to Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece. Brad Pitt gives a absolutely fantastic performance. I think it's probably one of his better performances of the last few years. I preferred him in this, actually, to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My issue with the film is the pacing and the voiceover. The voiceover, to me, was a little bit irritating and unnecessary at times. The whole show-don't-tell sort of motif went completely out of the window with the voiceover. And it came when you wanted the film to sort of speed up its pace, but the voiceover and some of the sequences sort of dragged it back. The sequence that you heard in the clip was actually on a spaceship that was sending out a Mayday message, and Brad Pitt's character then goes and investigates and finds something on the ship. I'm not going to tell you what it is, because when I first saw it, I didn't know whether to laugh or gasp in horror. But, yeah, as a space movie, it works. But there is some definite pacing issues. I'm not entirely sure whether it's a masterpiece or not at the moment. I think it's going to take a couple more viewings. 
But Ad Astra is a very interesting film. And if you like a good sort of space movie in the vein of 2001 or Solaris, then this is definitely maybe the movie for you. And I'm going to give Ad Astra six and a half out of ten. Now that might seem a little bit harsh, but you can't forgive a movie for having pacing issues. So yes, that is our review for Ad Astra. It's out now at the cinema. Now don't forget, lovely film lovers, you can follow the Films I Love Most podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And some exciting news. We have a new monthly podcast coming very soon called The Films I Love Most Podcast, The Sequel, where we will be concentrating more on the production side of filmmaking. And also we will be looking back at a film classic every month. So if you enjoy the films I love most podcasts, then you're going to love the sequel because it's bigger, bolder, better and... Well, a lot more me. So what more could you want in your life? Now it's time for the small screen. Yes, we are looking not at the cinema screen, but the small screen, i.e. our TV. So this week I was very excited because one of my favourite TV shows came back for its ninth season... Now, this is where horror film fans are probably not going to be very happy with me. I apologise, but yes, it's the return of American Horror Story. And this year's theme is 1984, in which the series is set. Now, I've seen the first episode, and I have to say, as a fan of 80s slasher flicks, I thought it was so good. The attention to period detail is incredible. The feel, the music, the texture of the scenes, the characters all lent to that 80s Friday the 13th-esque movie. And I thought it was fantastic and I really, really enjoyed the first episode. The whole concept of, or the whole conceit of a group of teenagers go to a summer camp for the summer to work as counsellors and when they get there you know something happens 20 years ago at the camp there was a murder or mass murders and they tell the story around the campfire but then there's something in the woods which is stalking them and it's such a classic classic setup that it works so well in American Horror Story because you know this is the ninth season they know what they're doing they can manipulate an audience so well that even though you're comfortable with the setup and the genre, they're pulling, you know, they're playing with your expectations and pulling twists and turns out from wherever they can. And there's a scene also that's set at a psychiatric hospital, which very much reminded me of the sequence in Halloween when Michael Myers escapes, which I just thought it was such a good sort of nod to those movies and I can't wait to see where this series goes. If you are a fan of 80s, anything 80s really, then you will be watching this film with your jaw on the floor because it's really, really clever how they pick those sort of things that you would just associate with the 80s 
and bring them forefront in the show. And I loved it and I loved it. So I'm going to give the first episode of American Horror Story 1984 10 out of 10 because I thought it was a cracking, cracking season opener. And I'm really excited to see where the series goes from here. Now it's time for the film I love most. And we're going all the way over the ocean to Aurora, Colorado, where Jess is going to be telling us what is the film that she loves most. The film I love most is The Princess Bride. It has stood the test of time for me. No matter my age, I still love to see it again and again. It has everything. Love, comedy, adventure... What more can you ask for? I actually used to use this film when I was teaching story arc to my students. It was a fun way for them to experience the elements of story while I shamelessly introduced them to a film that I love. My name is Inigo Montoya, and you killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah, so we are talking about The Prince's Bride. Now, The Prince's Bride was not one of my childhood movies. Um, It passed me by for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. I was too busy watching things like Ghostbusters or The Dark Crystal, Terminator 2 or Quadrophenia or Beetlejuice. Um, You know, films that are obviously made for children. Not. If you're a long-term listener to the podcast, you'll know that my childhood movies were not so childlike. But that's what you get for having a big brother. But The Princess Bride, I did see it quite recently... And it holds up so well. It's a mix of all your favourite fairy tale characters, but with a huge, huge dollop of comedy and humour and repetition and characters that you just instantly fall in love with. So Wesley and Buttercup are just an amazing sort of um, couple that you wish that there was a theme park out there where you could go and play with the Princess Bride characters like at Disneyland because... It's such a rich film with a lot of mythology and epic battle scenes and everything that a child would want from a movie. The Princess Bride had it. And even though I've only watched it recently and I'm obviously an adult, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it just demands repeat viewing and it's so, so funny. And it's got Mel Brooks in it and it's just really, really good film. And there's obviously the tropes of the the prince and, you know, the villain who turns out actually to be the good guy and the giant and the princess. And um, yeah, it's everything that you could want for a childhood movie. And I think that um, if you have children or if you have nieces or nephews or, you know, anyone, any young ones in your care, I think that showing them The Prince's Bride is um, definitely a treat and they will probably thank you for that in the future so I love The Princess Bride I'm giving it 10 out of 10 thank you so much Jessica what a pick now it's time for film found for a pound now I'm not going to lie to you I've had so many photos and messages from you guys with your film found for a pounds um things include heat inglorious bastards 
um, adaptation, Her, the Joaquin Phoenix film, which I thought was really interesting because obviously Joaquin Phoenix is about to become huge again with The Joker, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. But the one that I chose, and again, I'm very sorry to those people that don't like horror movies, but I chose Candyman. Someone found Candyman for a pound, which is an absolute bargain. Now, I've only got Candyman on Blu-ray, um, which is from Arrow Video. Um, I love the Arrow Video releases. Uh, they come with so many interesting extras and the picture quality of the film is so, so good. Now, Candyman um, has a lot of prominent issues for a horror movie, shall we say. Um, Tony Todd plays Candyman in his probably most iconic role. Obviously, he went up, went on to star in films like Final Destination series, which um, he's just very creepy in those films, but perfectly cast. And um, there's a huge backdrop to slavery and um, issues of the black community within Candyman, which the reason why I chose this is because Jordan Peele, the maker of Get Out and Us, has chosen the Candyman remake for his next project, which I'm very, very excited about because um, even though Candyman is quite a fun, gruesome horror movie, it also has a lot to say about um, race and how race is observed in the United States. So I'm very, very much looking forward to Jordan Peele getting his hands on that material and to see what he does with it. So Candyman, if you're interested, if you love a good scary hot film and you haven't seen it, then please go and find it out there on Arrow Video. You will not regret it. Just don't say his name three times in a mirror. Please. <laughs> Wow, what a bumper episode that was. We packed so much in, I can't believe it. I've been in the dungeon for days. No, I'm only joking. I really thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Thank you very much for joining me. Remember, this podcast is nothing without you. So please message me, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and tell me about the films that you are watching at the moment. What are you loving? And let me know so that I can love them along with them. Love them along with you. It's been a long day. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. I've done a little bit of the podcast in the dark because we had a bit of a power cut earlier. But I'm okay. I gripped onto my tea and my non bonbons because I didn't get any non bonbons. Bourbons. Um, I really am losing the plot. But yes, thank you so much for joining me. Please, please get involved. That is what I'm here for. I am here to inspire you to get out and see as much cinema as you can and also to make a little bit of money for charity when you go out and buy your films found for a pound. So thank you very much for joining me and I will see you next week when we will be reviewing films from the London Film Festival. You take care of yourself, film lovers, and I'll see you very soon. Bye. Bye.